All right, guys. Happy February. Um, we're only five seconds in, and I already have an announcement to make. Uh, for this episode, I'm going to be doing something a little bit new. I uh, figured it's a late New Year's resolution, but we'll see how that goes. This new thing uh, is going to be just recording an episode with no notes whatsoever and just accumulating knowledge of what I know. Do I think it's going to work? Hopefully. Will it sound good? Hopefully number two. But anyway, without further ado, I'm just going to get into what I'm going to be discussing because content needs to be put out. Got to keep Anchor and Spotify busy and Apple Podcasts for those of you who use that. So I figured today uh, I would change paths from the last few episodes. Uh, the last few episodes, if you guys been listening, uh, which thank you if you have been, have uh, mainly been about the NBA. Um, they've been largely about the association. They've just been about uh, professionals going halfway through the season and uh, making shots and impressing analytic people or impressing fans like me when the analytics aren't correct. Today, uh, I'm going to try to rebirth the other portion of this podcast, which is discussing the NCAA basketball. Not the NCAA basketball, we're discussing NCAA basketball. Right now, it's about 4.05 p.m. on a Thursday, so by the time you guys will be hearing this, it'll be Friday. So uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say a happy Friday to you all in advance. Uh, hope you guys have a good weekend planned ahead. Uh, hope you all can definitely get some time to relax. Um, I certainly hope so for myself. I've been hitting the gym every day this week. I'm going to be doing two workouts tomorrow, in fact. So a uh, day off on a Saturday or two on Sunday, definitely the week before Super Bowl is going to be key. So yeah, you may be asking right about now why I'm talking about the NCAA and not the NBA, because yes, the NBA is still going on. But guess what? So is the NCAA. So is college basketball. There is one particular thing that I wanted to dive into, and that's because of a podcast that I follow. So you all may not know this, but I took heavy inspiration to start this podcast from J.J. Redick, a former NBA player who now runs the podcast The Old Man and the Three, which I have to say is one of the biggest podcasts on sports, I would have to say, in the United States and the world. That's in my mind. It's probably what the actual stats are, too. I'm not going to dive deep into that because I like it. Anyway. Yesterday, as I got out of class, I had about an hour or so to check out uh, one of JJ's new clips. Uh, and what that new clip really had for content to summarize was he proposed a new way to format the All-Star game. Long story short, uh, that All-Star game right now has 24 players. He proposed expanding it to 30 and kind of making it more equal on both sides, West and East, just because of fan voting and how that's all going right now. They just want to reduce the amount of snubs. It's a great episode. I'm glad I watched it because it gave me the idea, gave me the light bulb of my head to record today and to produce an episode for you guys. What today's episode is going to be about is like what JJ was to the All-Star game is going to be me to something in the NCAA that has been living in my head for the last month or two. That That is the transfer portal 
And I'm, that doesn't even go for college basketball. That goes for all NCAA sports. The transfer portal is good if you're a player. I don't know how it is if you're a coach. It's great if you're a recruiter. But to some people, me being one of them, I have reasons for concern about the transfer portal that I figured I'm going to voice right now. And like what JJ did with this episode yesterday, I'm going to propose how I'd fix it. So this is going to be the big thing that I'm going to be using no notes for. I'm just going to be using whatever I have in my head about the transfer portal and launching it right into this microphone and onto your streaming service. Hope you like it. No formal intro, so this is going to be like a five second, five, four, three, two, one. Okay, guess what? I'm back. The content begins. So the transfer portal. Uh, before I really begin, I want to give you guys a, b- uh, a brief history lesson. So for years, the NCAA transfer portal has been in the format of if a player chooses to transfer to another school, uh, the rule was the NCAA will grant your request, but in exchange, you have to sit out an entire academic year. Jalen Hurts did this for football when he transferred from Alabama to Oklahoma but before he eventually came the quarterback of the Eagles. A lot of college players are doing that today. I will list some later for particular reasons. However, in recent years, the rules regarding the transfer portal and even eligibility have changed massively. Um, in the last few years, the transfer rules have changed. Let's start with that. Instead of having to sit out a year, players can transfer at will, as long as they're granted that by the NCAA. doesn't matter what year in college you're at, whether you're a first year, second year, third year, or fourth year. doesn't matter. If you want to transfer and you're allowed to by the NCAA, you can. <clears throat> you can go from your small school to a big school uh, that wants you. Whatever the reason may be, there are a couple causes for concern about the NCAA transfer portal that I'm realizing. The first of which actually has to do with the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, topic that none of you ever heard of, right? Not like that's been a thing for the last however many years now. Three? Good God. Okay, that's a while. Anyway. the Yes, the pandemic actually had something to do with affecting college basketball. Here is why. When the pandemic initially began, and as these seasons were starting up again, the COVID-19 pandemic shut down the NCAA 2020 tournament. As a Dayton Flyer, soon-to-be alumni, I have every flipping right to say that we would have won that tournament. I don't want to hear any differently. That was canceled. The 2020 and 2021 season then got delayed heavily because of the pandemic. Fans weren't allowed in the stadiums. The conference amount of games were reduced. And... The 2021 NCAA tournament nearly didn't happen at all. Now, where am I going with this? Why does that have anything to do with the transfer portal? It actually has a lot to do with the transfer portal. Because players who were impacted, whose seasons were impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic, were allowed to ask, or ask the NCAA, propose uh, an extra year of COVID eligibility. Which means that if you were a fourth year, and your season was impacted by the 2020 2021 or both seasons you could request the NCAA to grant you an extra year of college seems like a great idea right I mean you miss on on the paper it seems like a good idea you miss part of the season you your play time gets affected you want to get those minutes back right yeah even I have to admit that seems like a good idea if you were somebody in that spot 
the part that concerns me about the transfer portal and the COVID eligibility is where transfers start to become prominent here. So I wouldn't say it's much of a problem, but let me give you a couple of examples. Last year, North Carolina made it to the uh, March Madness National Championship game. If you're a Duke fan, sorry, I didn't mean to cause trouble. There was a player on that team named Brady Manick. You may recognize him. You may have heard the name. Long hair, long beard, uh, total vibe of a dude. Uh, he played four years at Oklahoma, and he was a great three-point shooter, great stretch four. Um, and but then was allowed to uh, was was then granted an extra year of COVID eligibility. That's all well and good, except the part that I have concerns with, and I'll name a few examples more after this was that not only were players like him allowed to enter the transfer portal, I don't know why I said that point first, you're allowed to enter the transfer portal and then grant, then be granted a fifth year of eligibility, which really doesn't make a whole lot of sense because to me what that feels like is you're declaring for a fifth year to try to get those chances back, but at the same time you're then transferring to a bigger school, which then he transferred to North Carolina for reasons I can't figure out. I'll name another example. There's a player called Matthew Mayer. He played for Baylor. Uh, if you, all you Baylor basketball fans out there, he was the guy with the mullet, rocking an amazing haircut. Won a national championship with Baylor. Didn't play the most minutes on that team, but he was still a prominent, still had a prominent role on that team. Then he became a senior. Was granted an extra year of COVID eligibility. See, I want to make it very clear that I have no problem with people being granted a fifth year of COVID eligibility. I totally understand that part. The part I don't understand is, relating back to Brady Manic, Matthew Mayer was then granted an extra year of eligibility and then was allowed to enter the transfer portal where he's now at Illinois. This situation seems a little different than Manic because I feel like kind of opposites. I feel like Mayer kind of stepped down from schools. This last example that I'm going to name presents the biggest problem I have with combining the two. There's a player on Virginia Tech now called Grant Basile. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Stretch four, absolutely annihilated Dayton when Tech played Dayton a couple months back. I don't want to be reminded of that. It's an unfamiliar name to a lot of you because he played four years at Wright State, a university that is almost not Division I for college basketball. It's a very small school. Either way. He was he was allowed to play, you know, all four years. He played all four years. It seemed like, based on the stats that I was looking at earlier, he didn't have much of a problem with effective playing time. He then gets a fifth year, but then is allowed to transfer to Virginia Tech at the ACC. This is this is going to be the problem. It's examples like that. To me, like, I mean, since I was I think five or six. I remember my parents getting annoyed every time. Whenever they do it, they would say, you're taking advantage of us. You're taking advantage of one of the two. To me, that just really feels like taking advantage of something that isn't going to be an opportunity forever. I want to make it very clear that COVID eligibility is not going to be a thing for that much longer because there will be people who then come into college or playing in college that weren't affected by that at all. To me, it's players like that who are really milking the system. You're really taking advantage of looser restrictions 
imposed by the NCAA. Fifth year is fine, but I think fifth year and transfers don't go together. And that's the other thing I have to wonder. What exactly do players transfer for, especially if you are a fourth or fifth year? Are you doing it because you want to get the recognition? Are you doing it because you want more minutes and you feel like you need you want to be played under a better coach? Or more recently, because I have reason to believe it, are you doing it because NIL is now a thing and you could potentially get paid? I'm no expert on this. I'll leave my opinions out of it. I don't have a definitive answer. Whatever that reason may be, I mean, it has to kind of raise some skepticism from fans like me. <coughs> Fortunately, this is where the positives come into play. Because this is how I propose we change all of this mess. Code eligibility, the end of that will take care of itself. Like I said, it will be gone for the next two, three years. There will be no player in college basketball that has played in the 2020 season by the time 2026 comes around. Like, it's not possible. Unless you were out injured for like two or three years, there is there will be no players affected by that. That eligibility could be taken away. My proposition, my first one is, if you are granted a fifth year of COVID eligibility, and this, again, will only be a thing for the next couple years, then in my, in my book, you should not be allowed to transfer. Because for all I know, you're, you're doing the fifth year just to transfer. I'm not accusing all players of doing that. But you have to understand that from a fan's point of view, that's what it looks like. And you got to realize that, you know, not, not to sound old or, you know, going back to old traditions or conservative about this, but I, I, I do prefer the old ways, if, if you were to ask me. Um, I think if you were to transfer, you should still sit out a year. But I'm not going to go back completely to, completely to the old way. That's the first way I'd fix the transfer portal, right there. Don't let fifth years, don't let fourth or fifth years transfer. The second thing would actually be something that I want the NCAA to maintain, or the NCAA to instill. Coaches should not be allowed to have a say in this transfer portal. And what I mean by that is not recruiting, nothing like that. It could result in tampering for all I know. I think if coaches have less of a say in where the player wants to go, I think it should be up to the player first. Then the coach can determine if they want that player on that team, if that seems fair enough. The coach should not have the first voice in that transfer. That, to me, is tampering. That's a big thing in the NBA and should be enforced in the NCAA as well. The next proposition I will change is players should be honest about who they're transferring or about the reasons as to why they're transferring. They should publicly express it if they, if they want to. I highly recommend they do. Let's take an example. And here's why I'm saying something that seems so out of pocket, so stupid, something so open to criticism. Let me, let me explain. Say that you go to a small school or go to a mid-major school and you have one or two of your favorite players. You know, they're powerhouses. They could go to the draft if they want. They could go to the G League. They can go overseas. They have the potential to play professional. But they also 
have years of eligibility left in college. So what happens? Well, it leaves fans worried that those players will just transfer, knowing that they can play for a much bigger team. Which, as a fan, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, is heartbreaking. Loyalty, I think, is not something that has shown enough in the professional sports world today. Um, and I think that that partially at least highlights it. I'm not accusing anybody at the University of Dayton or anybody else of doing that. Let's also make the other thing clear for all you UD listeners right now. I'm not, don't, don't draw any connections. I, that is not the example. I think really to prevent a bigger team from poaching all the good players and getting all the balance, the NCAA should have a say about they should have the ability to veto transfers. Maybe they do now, but let's let me remind you that I'm not reading off any notes. I'm just going by what I've, I'm thinking in my head. I think if they mitigated really how much transfers can occur in a certain period of time, that will potentially stop all the crazy transfers from going on at weird times. In my opinion, if you're good enough to go overseas and go professional, just do it. Just do it. Or play your three to four years of college, whatever you feel comfortable with. Just don't anger the fans. Those are my thoughts, personally. I may have more later. I'm probably going to have one right after I hit stop recording because that's what my mind does sometimes. It's been a busy day. But... I do believe the NCAA has the ability to change this transfer portal and make the and, and and make good corrections, make agreeable corrections. I think with those simple propositions, again, I'm not demanding the NCAA does all that. I listed examples, what I see in my point of view, and why I think these were reasonable conclusions to draw. That's what podcasts are. This is what freedom of speech is. This is what my show is based on. It's just based on what I think. I'm not doing it to be right. I'm not doing it to have an alpha opinion. I'm not doing it to get attention from anyone. I'm doing it because it's just on my mind. And if people in the world love it, fantastic. Glad you listened, and I'm thankful for your time and all this. So with that being said, that really ends my content for the day. We're almost at the 20-minute mark anyway, so to not waste too much of your time, let me give you guys a heads up. This will be going out Friday, February 3rd, if you haven't watched this already, or if you listened to this already. I don't know why I keep saying watch. Go ahead and do it. It's Friday. You're probably lounging on the couch. You're probably in your chair. You're probably playing video games or driving back from work, whatever you're doing. If you got 20 minutes and you want to listen to this, I'd be thankful from the bottom of my heart. But with that being said, we got an episode coming next week. I won't give away the content because it's a surprise. That's to keep my viewers guessing, my listeners guessing. But until then, have a great weekend, everybody. Have a great Friday by the time everyone's able to listen to this. Go Flyers. And I can't wait to give you guys the next episode. For now, this has been Connor, the host of The Concept. This has been The Concept Podcast. Cheers, guys.